This is exactly right. If you're a fan of meticulously crafted worlds that reimagine every little detail, then you'll enjoy the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Host Eric Malinsky spent over a decade working in public radio and uses those skills to create a sound-rich podcast that features interviews with Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, the writers of hit TV shows like Star Trek Strange New Worlds, designers of games like Magic the Gathering, and the puppeteer who designed Miss Piggy. You can find Imaginary Worlds wherever you're listening to this podcast. Welcome to another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie DeCherico. I'm Danielle Henderson. And we are back again to talk about movies uh, with you today. How are you, Danielle? I'm all right. I'm all right. Um, Uh I feel like I've gone through the Rubicon of the pandemic lockdown, and I'm now recognizing certain behaviors that would indicate that I have been alone at home for far too long (laughs) oh no it's like care to share (laughs) it is i mean this this is it's not a friendship ender i think it's just it's possible you'll see me in a very different light once i tell you this but i'm gonna share i'm gonna share i think it's important i think it's important to the history of my mental health to keep a record i just out of nowhere the other day decided to weigh myself Right before I took a dump. Okay. <laughs> so I did. I weighed not myself. Not a good thing to do, by the way. They tell you not to do that. But here's why. Because then I went and took a dump and I went back to weigh myself to see if I, how much the dump weighed. And was it like a 10 pounder? What's going on? <laughs> it's gross, right? Like that's horrible, gross behavior. <laughs> Listen, I don't know if you know me, but I am not easily grossed out. <laughs> But I mean, you know, I is get what you're saying. Worrisome behavior. Like that <laughs> was a fun moment for me where I was like, oh, like it was something to do for that few minutes. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's a science based experiment that you did for yourself <laughs> to find out more about the strength of the of the colon and the intestines and the you know i don't know i'm just making shit up but i'm just saying i I haven't i will i have not done that particular (laughs) thing but i have heard that you should always have your bowel movement first before weighing yourself in the morning because shit happens literally (laughs) Sorry. Also, I let's should be get fired. into that. <laughs> do people just shit regularly in the morning? That's a thing they do. Like you wake up, you take a dump, and that's how you start your day every day. Yeah, I think that's kind of like it's like the the most pleasurable moment of people's days. I think is the morning dump. I feel like that's like really? I've seen TV shows about that. Am I wrong? Really. I don't think you're wrong. I'm just I'm curious because, as you know, I've been interrogating my my dietary life over the past few months. Sure. And I've never been a morning dumper. You know, I got to tell you, quarantine will change it. Change the schedule. You you will be surprised at like how uh, how stress, number one, different eating and just and just the sort of like 
different rhythms to our days now we'll change that dump like you'll be like oh 6 30 a.m on the dot hitting it like like a fucking alarm clock but then like something like this happens and then suddenly you're like a mid-afternoon dump sometimes like a night dump and a morning (laughs) dump which is interesting don't beat yourself up anyone for not having and also, I'm not a doctor, so don't take my advice like, at all. Oh, yeah. But. Don't, don't, don't listen to anything we're saying medically, in a medical way at all. But I'm, I'm curious about it because I've seen those jokes in those TV shows, too. And I feel like, all right, most people like have their coffee, take their dump, and that's how they start their day. And I just, you know, I just don't. I got a whole different schedule. But it's all right. It's but is all right. it working for some, you? I mean, are you? Are, I think. Like, I haven't. I sh- should I tell should I play this for my doctor and be like I don't know what do you think <laughs> I mean I would I don't feel bad simply, simply <laughs> because know? I want your doctor to listen to our podcast but I mean I <laughs> I don't know I mean it's you're in a good spot whatever is going on because you're at home right, right. the worst thing for 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 you at this moment would be to like be in the middle of something and then have like you know questions completely Um, but you know you're at home you can it's time it's an an experimental time honestly i think if if you're trying to figure out the dump schedule it's a good time to do it i completely appreciate that because i i also know that i've never been a public dumper like i can't do it unless there's a problem a (laughs) brewing And that happened to me once when I was in New York City and I was leaving my therapist's office and she had like a, you know, the the bathroom for the floor of the building that she was in was not too far away from her office. So I went into the bathroom and I was like, this is going to be cool. Sat down and within, I don't know, a few seconds, the lights went out because I realized they were motion activated lights. So I'm just sitting there in intestinal distress mm-hmm. and I can't stand up and I'm in the dark just crapping my brains out. So yeah, this is like, <laughs> this is really gross. Possibly for some of you, I apologize. But this is what I spent some my time doing and it made me wonder if, you know, the, the amount that I was laughing at it made me wonder if I was a little bit insane or if I'd gone over, crossed over <laughs> and need to get a new hobby. I mean, I'm not not saying that. But also, I'm also very forgiving of the historical moment we're in. I appreciate it. I feel like once the the pandemic is truly over, there's going to be a lot of reckoning amongst all of us with all of the all of the things, the secret behaviors, the, you know, home alone stuff that we've done. Mm hmm um over the course of this thing and i and i hope that we come out of it better people like i just hope that we we become better at like forgiving ourselves for like dumb shit or whatever but you know what now that i'm thinking about it to go back to your earlier point about public dumping can you believe if you really think about it now can you believe that virtually nobody that works in an office building had to worry about the shame and embarrassment of taking a public dump in an office building over the past, mm-hmm. you know, past year or so. That was like a serious problem for people where people have to like strategically go to like other floors and other buildings. And it's based on like how many people yes. are working on the floor and like, <laughs> you know, the, sometimes certain floors have like accoutrement that other floors, like somebody has like a poo spray and like, there's a louder air fan in there or whatever. Yes. And like those conundrums like aren't happening. 
which is kind of amazing if you think about it. And also it's gone for for a lot of people, for the people who do still have to go into work, it's it's less full. Like there's not as many, it's not, not as many people around. So it makes it even easier. But I definitely, yeah, there's there's gonna be some reckonings, and I definitely feel like that is that is one of them. And uh thank you for not feel, making me feel shame. And uh I don't know. I was laughing my ass off and it really worried me afterwards. And I was like, oh, let me talk this out with my girl. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I appreciate you putting your trust in me. But were you lighter? Just out of real curiosity, were you like lighter? I was two pounds lighter. Oh, two pounds. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I see what we're working with here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But how are are you this week? I truly have nothing that compares. (laughs) You surely have something better because genuinely anything would be better. You could tell me that you you caught a mosquito in your hand and I'd be like, tell me every every moment of that. The only thing that really happened this week was that I had this package that was misdelivered. And again, as I said before, in a pandemic, it's the you know, we're in this like post holiday time Maybe the mail isn't back to normal. I'm, I understand it, right? Like, it may not even get back to normal for a while. But I had this package that was misdelivered. And it was the thing where I ordered it on a pretty famous clothing company's website. Okay, like, not, not like Amazon, but like, sort of like that sturdy heritage brand that people Mm -hmm. have ordered things from on occasion. Okay. So they presumably have every resource in the world to like cancel an order within the minute you've said it. So like I ordered this thing and then immediately realized that I had basically sent it to my old address in West Hollywood. Okay. Oh. Which I don't live in anymore. I don't live in that apartment. I have no idea who lives in that apartment. Okay. It's been like over six months. Like I immediately, like when I, even when I pressed order, like I was like, oh shit. And I realized it immediately. So I was like, oh, let me just go back into the account and just cancel the order. Surely they haven't shipped it. I literally sent it over like a minute ago. And there was no way to cancel it, no way to change the address. And I was like, motherfucker, are you serious? So I called their customer service within five minutes of placing the order. And I get a very cheerful woman on the phone and I'm just like, hi, Um, I just placed an order and I sent it to the wrong address. It was just in my address book on your website. And I was going really fast and I'm sorry, it's my fault. But like, I just said it can we just cancel so I can like order it again and send it to the right address or change the address? And she's like, yeah, no, sorry. And I'm like, like, that's it. it. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, but it's still data. It's just still data. It's not, it's not turned into an order yet. Like it's, it's not like someone's hand stitching the buttons on the final pass. (laughs) As soon as they, they're, they're waiting for this, this light to go on so that your order comes through. And when it does, they're done. We, ship the literal millisecond that you've ordered something and if you've made a mistake you are fucked so i just am like that is wild and then the fact of the matter is is that was misdelivered to my old address which is like (laughs) goodbye it's gone it's gone and you can't even ask your old neighbors 
anything about it because if you talk to even one of them, you are now sucked back into that whole situation. Well, that's the thing is that the only neighbor that has still talked to me since I left is this middle-aged woman who lived at the end of the building. That neighbor's like a neighborhood watch. Like she's wild. I like she used to, I you told me she you saw her fighting for a chair at the dumpster. Like she is a wild one. Yeah, and the only things that she has sent me and she sends me emails a lot have to do with QAnon. So, there you go. Dot dot dot. <laughs> insert adjectives here so if i attempt to reach out to her to try to get this package which by the way is gone there's not even like i I used to have mail stolen constantly when i lived there so if it's not just been stolen normally like no one is going like she's the only person that i have a tie to and it's like i can't get in the weeds with that (laughs) I've been been trying to disassociate from that for so long (laughs) that having to ask for a favor would be it's a it's a non-issue. You know, you would never get away. And just to be fair, because I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast before. This is the same neighbor who showed up at your door and wanted you to take a picture of her head wound. Yes. (laughs) A hundred percent. Yes. Yep. Which. She she handed me her iPad, her giant iPad, and asked me to take a picture. And I just said, why don't you just flip the camera around and do it yourself? I really don't know why you want me to do it. Like, that's what they make forward facing cameras now for is to take pictures of your own medical anomalies. I, I and I don't know if he was trying to flex on me that she had a head wound and I didn't or something like that. But I'm just like, man, dude, like, honestly, wh- you're bleeding on my doorstep right now, dog. And I can't have that. I can't have that at all. Are you in the middle of an I survived episode? Like, what is happening? <laughs> I mean, honestly, the thing that I ordered was so dumb. It was like a pair of no-show socks and like a fanny pack. It's like, whatever. Like, just but still take the L. <laughs> you know, It, uh, but it's more just about the like, I was fucked no matter what. It was like the company right. wasn't going to help me out. This woman <laughs> is not the one. Uh, and I just had to take the L. Simply let That's it go. Obs- setting though like i agree with you it's upsetting when you call if, if it were like a smaller business or something like we're, we're always willing to give people the benefit of the doubt especially nowadays but that's usually something that you could cancel or adjust before it's mailed yeah and i'll and i'll just say this is a multi-billion dollar company that can fucking cancel my order look they're a big enough company that their phone operators are happy. That means you're getting paid. You got decent work hours. Like something good's going on there. This multi-billion dollar company is giving something back. If you're cheerful when you answer the phone. I also think too, this couldn't have been the first time that this has happened. And perhaps they should reassess their policy because come on dudes really like even amazon gives you like a grace period like if you accidentally rent a movie they're like oh you didn't do that 
cool. Like we'll just refund you or like cancel the order before it ships. I get that. If it ships already, it's a different issue. But if you catch right. it within the fucking 30 second window of placing it, there should be like an oops scenario. But you know what? I can't ask for that. I am just one woman. <laughs> no, here's a question. Are you ever going to shop there again? Or has this situation tainted your experience, even though it was your fault that you sent this to the wrong address, it's not your fault that you couldn't cancel it. That would make me wary of ordering yeah. in the future. When it comes down to it, I'm like, I don't like that shit. Like, is is it going to affect me purchasing? Probably. It just bothers me because I'm just like, I'm sure there's so many people like me that are just like, you know, I can't get my money back for something. I know I made a mistake, but come on. Well, this is also real. Like a lot of people are struggling right now. Yeah. And I feel like anyone who's shopping and able to purchase things like you don't know how precious it might be. You have no idea. Those those no show socks could have been the only present their kids were getting for the holidays this year. And I feel like a shit complaining about shopping. But I'm honestly like, damn, man, like what happened? It just fell into the hole. It's like when you drop your keys into the sewer, they're gone. Like, and you're just going to have to let it go. There should be no sewers at multi-billion dollar companies. But you know what? Like, damn, 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 damn. Florida <laughs> Evans style. Damn. I feel you. <laughs> let's, let's alleviate our frustration with some movies and some theming. Okay. Go tell people what our theme is this week. If you haven't already guessed, this is going to be a wild one, folks. Um, the theme that we're going for this week is called All the Way Up. Quite honestly, it kind of just came from an inside joke between Danielle and I about specific actors that are going for it. You know what I mean? Like at Always all times. going for it. <laughs> Every role, they're doing it to the max. Yeah. And I, and I also think, too, the movies that we picked for this week, I honestly think, I think they're, they're pretty similar. They share a lot of similar characteristics. I mean, the thing that it's most interesting about them is that they're both about crime. Essentially, they're both true stories about pretty infamous criminals. And they are both made by these, I would say, these kind of two notoriously artsy, quote unquote, indulgent filmmakers, mm -hmm. both men. But I think that that, is the key to why these movies belong in a theme like all the way up. Cause explain, explain yeah. more about what all the way up means. Like just the vibe of it, you know? Yeah. And all the way up, I do think it fits with your, when you're, what you were just saying about the directors, because it's like everyone from top to bottom is all the way up yeah, in their careers and in their style of movie making. So this is natural, but I think it's more like, um, for example, we, we were going to pick crank and then we realized <laughs> Like part of our discussion was that Jason Statham is always all the way up. <laughs> so like you could just spin a spin a wheel and pick a Jason Statham movie and he's going to be all the way to the fucking top. He is going to be acting the wildest you've ever seen anybody act. And so I think that's the, that's the tone of this is that it's 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 a wildness that is unhinged and uncontainable. I will say, you know, we're talking about two male actors this week but i think it applies there's a lot of women who are all the way up in their performances as well i mean it honestly is kind of a case-by-case -case situation although with people like statham and i would argue 
Nicolas Cage and, and maybe um, like M- Matthew McConaughey is a per like he's in he's in one of the movies today. But I'm just saying that, like, you know, there's like these kind of notorious actors in Hollywood that are just like always at 11, sometimes always at 12 at 11. or 13. And you're just like they kind of become the thing to watch it for. Right. Yep. I agree. And I think, you know, this is you you were mentioning that there are a lot of, you know, female actors and other actors who go all the way up. And I I feel like, you know, we've all seen a Nancy Myers movie. There's always (laughs) someone going all the way up in those things. It's not just about those kitchens, folks. Yeah, and maybe this will end up being a recurring theme. I think it has to be. We just named like 14 actors. I know, it's like, wait a minute. The well goes so far down. Well, especially with uh, with the main character in your film. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, he's got a career based in going all the way up for real. Yeah. I cannot wait to talk about these movies. My contribution to the theme of All the Way Up is a movie from 2013. It is called The Wolf of Wall Street. It is directed by Martin Scorsese. My name is Jordan Belfort. The year I turned 26, I made $49 million, which really pissed me off because it was three shy of a million a week. I'm so scared to talk about this movie. Um, (laughs) Why are you scared, girl? Why are you scared? I don't know. I just am, just because it is outrageous. And I say this as a person who has watched... I, you know, I program a cult movie franchise for a cable television network. I can confidently say I have seen some shit, but it's funny because I've seen this movie a few times and then I watched it again recently and I was like, oh my God. Like, (laughs) I just have to ask you though, for the record, have you seen this movie before? I had only seen it within the last year because you, you were the one who told me I should watch it. (laughs) Oh my God, what's wrong with me? I think it was after this conversation we had about actors who went all the way up. Oh, my God. And you're like, have you seen Wolf of Wall Street? Because I'm like, oh, my God, like Matthew McConaughey and DiCaprio are in there. must be wild. Yes. Wild boys. Let's just jump in. I mean, and part of part of what helps me with this movie, if this if this helps you at all or helps you talk about it at all. And because I don't want you to be afraid to talk about it. We didn't make this movie. Part of what helps me is thinking about the reasons I didn't want to watch it at first. And from the advertisements and from what I thought it was about you know this this guy's life Jordan Belfort I didn't want to see in 2013 a movie about the privilege of white people doing drugs and getting away with it yeah so that was something that was just like ah that's not that's not a movie for me but if you read about this guy's life and watch the movie through that lens it still can be wild and fun and funny but this is it's a real question are these actors that go all the way up in the, in these movies because they're playing real people who went all the way up in their lives like what's the friction there part of me wonders if you could make this movie right now like if you could make a wolf of wall street right now i mean this was a pre-trump era film mm-hmm. and there were so many things that had not been revealed yet <laughs> and uh, in the in the world that, you know, part of me is like, wow, you could probably not make this movie right now. But also just generally, you're exactly right. It is hard to watch this. And a lot of people were were freaked out by it when it came out. A lot of people thought it was sensationalizing or glorifying um, just the hedonism and just the bullshit of people like this and also 
he committed a crime against people and people thought he should go to jail. And a lot of people were pissed off that like, Oh, well now his story is made into this funny at times, very funny film that, and he's getting notoriety. So there's that whole shit I get. But to me, honestly, I mean, I, I think it is a satire of just, because I don't think, especially after rewatching it now, these are not cool people. I don't know who thought that this, like, yeah, these are badasses. First of all, they're all fucking dorks. I have to say they're it. Such dorks. Such dorks. And I'll get into that in a second. But like, yeah, so like, that's the craziest part is that I was like watching it in this post Trump, post Jeffrey Epstein, post a lot of shit mindset. And it's like, it hits differently, as the kids say. Exactly. So I guess to start, I mean, as we've mentioned, this movie is based off of the memoirs of um, the disgraced New York City stockbroker, Jordan Belfort. And like, if you don't know who he is, Google him or honestly, just any of the documentaries on CNBC that Stacey Keach narrates, it's you'll find you'll figure it out very quickly. That's such a deep cut. It is a deep cut. <laughs> I, I love the Keech, and he's always talking about these like bad American rich people. He's been on an episode or two for sure. So basically, what he did, if if you don't want to Google him, is that he started this like crooked brokerage firm in like the late eighties and nineties, and he and he got rich by selling what they call penny stocks, which. I didn't actually understand for a very long time. And I'm kind of glad that Spike Jones is in this movie to explain it all because I was like, what, what? Same. My knowledge of financial things is pretty limited because uh, we never had money. Or at least what? not not this type of money yeah. where people have yachts and stuff I'm like what so essentially he he sold these penny stocks to a bunch of like working poor people and then became successful and started this giant company of like toxic rich white frat guys basically and they were kind of infamous for doing like tons and tons of drugs and other wild boy stuff as you can imagine and he obviously became a multimillionaire, and he spent his money in the most corny ways possible uh and then he got busted so there you go that's the that's the dream <laughs> the american dream <laughs> um th that's essentially what this movie is about i mean it's basically just like this it's like this ethnographic study of a like morally bankrupt wall street asshole and completely his kingdom of goons basically that's the, that's what the movie's about that is a really good description because i think that it is that's the way i'm able to watch it and get the comedy beats is that these are people i would normally never know anything about i would relegate them to a part of my consciousness that's just like these are assholes you never want to think about and it is always interesting to take these deep dives into lives that you don't know about, whether it's something, you know, a movie about Mongolia or a movie about these Wall Street assholes. <laughs> yeah. In both cases, I don't know how anyone's living. So it's interesting to me in that kind of, like you said, that academic kind of ethnographic way. Um, so I think that's that is an important distinction that if you look at it, even though they are real people, you're you're looking at from the outside in. And I think it also helped shaped my conception of 
exactly how disastrous governments are set up to protect these kinds of guys and like how much we miss out on by not having a moral ineptitude <laughs> you know like we miss out on on a lot of uh, the bonuses and the this and the that like not stuff we would want but i think that the, the way that they're treated even by the police and even by the fbi is not afforded to most people so it's just it's interesting to look at who can buy off governments and people in this yeah. world i mean yeah i mean that's of course you think okay there are people who are serving more time for a fucking dime bag than they than a guy who stole millions of dollars from the government or whatever or just stole from people because he actually stole from people or at least mishandled their money and didn't care which is also stealing i feel like right and, and you know of course there's lots of stuff out there about jordan belford i mean i have not read his memoirs no nor will i um but you know like a, the interesting thing about him though i think is that he actually wasn't this like blue blood you know harvard educated type person and that's what i think scorsese tells a lot in his movies is kind of about these like guys that are like self-made that run into problems as they're Wealth and ego <laughs> goes unchecked. They take place in meritocracy and then it fucks them. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> but um, so anyway, you know, I have a lot to say about this movie, but honestly, it really makes the most sense that Jordan Belfort is played by who I believe is the all the way up king, Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> now... <laughs> now, Leonardo DiCaprio and Martin Scorsese have worked together a lot. This was their fifth movie because I guess Italians stick together at the end of the day. I don't know. I should know that. Being that I'm half Italian, I should know that. But I I don't know. Is Leonardo DiCaprio Italian? I believe so. Isn't DiCaprio an Italian last name? Leonardo <laughs> is as well. <laughs> I just assume that. I genuinely <laughs> never looked it up. I thought his mom was like Swedish or something, but you're like, Leonardo, come on. Wait a minute. Am I fucking wrong about that? Can, can no, we like can we look it and look that up? He has to be Italian. What is Very it? Very Italian. He's Italian American. What, what is that name? Italian. He's an American. <laughs> yeah. Leonardo <laughs> Wilhelm DiCaprio. Wilhelm. <laughs> I'm trying to look it up. Where? Wait, wait. His mom is Swedish. I swear to God. DiCaprio's father is of Italian and German descent. DiCaprio is conversant in Italian. Oh, he speaks Italian. And then it looks like his mom is German and Russian. I am all over the map with this one. Wait, all right, lots, cool. of, lots of so white. his dad is half Italian. Italian and German, right? Italian and German descent. Wow. So he, but he was born in America. He's born in New York or something, right? Or LA. He was born in Los Angeles. Mm, yeah. Interesting. So yeah, I, essentially they've worked together a lot. And yeah. maybe, maybe it's because they're both Italian or maybe it's because <laughs> these are just like straight guys that know how to make movies about pompous jabrones from New York. <laughs> I mean, if, if if I were going to call this anything, if I were in charge of how movies were titled, this would be called Toxic Masculinity, the movie. The movie. Right? The movie and the musical. So I'm going to say this. I'm not going to give too much information about Martin Scorsese because quite honestly, there are so many film podcasts that have I mean, spent every second talking about him. Uh, and you can download them right now. Um, yep. 
I, I will say this though. I mean, I, <laughs> I think I'm federally mandated to have an opinion about him because I work in movies. But anyway, the, to that end, though, I. I am a fan. Um, and I know that he said some shit about Marvel movies a while back that like made some people hate him, I guess. I don't know. But for me, I love that he loves old movies. Like he's a big champion of old films. I love his editor, Thelma Schoonmaker. He's a big champion of, of international films too. Yeah. I was going to say he has a, he has a nonprofit called the film foundation. Uh, he, listen, he has restored like esoteric Filipino movies amongst other things that are made in the non-Western world. And I'll, I'll always like him for that, but I will tell you like two things. Number one is that the Wolf of wall street is the highest grossing film that he ever made. And that's Ooh. that actually says a lot to me. I don't know why. Yeah. But also it is in the Guinness Book of World Records for having the most cussing in any film. Really? <laughs> yes. I want to say there's like 900 upwards of 900 cuss words in this movie. That is incredible. Yeah. Which I just think is a, a funny record to hold. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine his response to like all the movies he's put out? And this is the one that gets in the Guinness Book of Records and is also the highest grossing movie. I know. <laughs> he was like, damn it. I thought it was going to be after hours, but no, it was Wolf of Wall Street. I also have to tell you this. I have to state for the record that I somehow avoided Leonardo DiCaprio's teen heartthrob era really absolutely i think i saw what's it in gilbert grape but then i didn't see like a movie of his for a very long time i never saw romeo and juliet and i never saw titanic i i honestly i don't even think it's on purpose like i right. i mean he's only like a few years older than us too so i mean it's like we were old enough to have seen him at least i was i would have gone to i don't know why i don't i literally have no idea why i missed him i i worked in a, in the mall when Romeo and Juliet came out and I have that, um, you know, when they used to change out the movie posters and those kiosks in the middle of the thing, they'd be like, look at this post, they're coming soon. And I used to ask the person who changed out the movie kiosk if I could have the old posters. And so I have a gigantic movie, like actual original movie poster for Romeo and Juliet. I've only seen the movie once. I'm not like a fan of it, but the yeah. poster's cool. Girl, put that, put that online. You can probably get good money for him because his hive is strong to this oh, day and has been has been for a long <laughs> time. Um, and I, you know, honestly, I think that's probably why I never like, cause my sister who's, she's three years younger than me, huge, huge Leonardo DiCaprio fan. Like she to, to this day talks about how the basketball diaries is like her favorite movie, <laughs> like as a teenager but even still she's like I, man i still fuck with that movie i'm like yeah yeah i never saw it i never saw it but here's the thing i i think i'm what you would call like a later career leonardo dicaprio appreciator which if you know me kind of makes sense right because i'm yeah. like all about actors when they're like making movies and they're like middle age or later yes. like <laughs> Love a 70s, 80s Shelly Winters. Love a late 60s Elizabeth Taylor. Like, honestly, he's my pick for all the way up because it's just like, like I said, he is, especially I think in his older roles, he is really going for it. Like, mm -hmm. and it's sometimes it's like, I, I kind of like don't know what he's going for. Right. You know, I just know 
by the time the movie ends, he's like red faced and spitting and screaming and crying, a lot of crying. And, and I'm just and I'm just like I'm sitting there going like, OK, is that like good acting or is that just pure fucking passion? Is that passion? And, and also, why do I laugh every time he cries? Like when he cries, I just think I'm like, maybe that's just like a shock response to the fucking pash. I don't know. He has a very interesting cry face. I will give you that. It's like watching like a baby just like go to 10. Yeah. From zero to 10. His mouth gets all like tight and, yeah. you know, like he just like kind of. He just seems like he's going to explode. Right. I mean, yeah. So it's funny because it's like I, I think that sometimes as a, as a film watcher, I actually like actors better when they're just like not technically good, but they're just like doing their weird actor shit. And, and like I said, I don't know what's happening a lot of times when I'm watching him in these movies, but I'm like, whatever it is, I, I am I am here for it. And like, there are so many parts in the Wolf of Wall Street where he's just like serving his crazy shit to us on like this golden Coke platter. It is like every three minutes in this movie, there's a different scenario of him going all the way up every three minutes. Yeah. And and a funny thing is, is that the, like the big at the beginning of the film, you know, there's this whole storyline where basically the Jordan Belfort character is being kind of mentored by like another stockbroker when he first starts out. And that person is Matthew McConaughey. And I remember like watching it because there's this like the scene is of the, of them at lunch and Matthew McConaughey is sorting Coke at the table and he's beating his chest like some, you know, like this kind of like <laughs> guttural, mm. like man, thing and i'm like okay this is setting a tone this is setting a tone for this movie right i swear to god every time i see leonardo dicaprio scream and like bash a microphone into his face with that like bad tan and that like grecian formula black hair dye that he has i'm like dude there's like two scenes in particular in wolf of wall street where i'm like folks he is really blowing a gasket for us and we need to we need to at least appreciate the first one is that scene where him and his wife, Naomi, who's played by Margot Robbie, the second wife, not the first one. They're like screaming at each other in bed. He's like in the bed. I guess he just woke up and he's wearing his boxers and she's like yelling at him about how he was yelling out Venice in his sleep. Basically, she's like accusing him of cheating on her, which she rightly, rightly so, because he was cheating on her. It was a sex worker and he actually had a candle in his ass because they show a flashback sequence of it. And like, he's trying, he's like that whole sequence where like, she's throwing like whatever water or vodka or what it is in his face. I mean, I was like, he is going ham. He's redder than I've ever seen him before. I am certain we're going to get an accidental dick shot like the like something's going to happen with those boxers because they're like it's like a wet boxer contest down there now. And I was like, and he's just going to keep going because that's his style. Like, it's just going to happen. and We're going to keep going. And how many takes do you think he does? Because that is so much energy for one scene. This is what I'm going to say, too, because the second scene that I really think describes his all the way upness is that infamous scene where he's on Quaaludes. 
and yes. he crawls out of that country club and he <laughs> and he opens the scissor doors of his like stupid Lamborghini with his fucking foot. And like <laughs> I I actually read that he threw his back out or something when he <laughs> did that scene and he like couldn't do it again. Like, what the fuck, man? Like, he just is like, gonna blow out the lower back. I don't give a shit. Anything <laughs> to open a car door with my fucking foot. I'm, I'm doing it for you. Like, no matter what. I mean, in the, in the, the craziest thing is that he like crawls across and falls off of a kitchen island in the next scene. I'm just like, yo, he gives. He gives. He is strangling. Jonah Hill with a phone cord in the next scene and falling all over the kitchen in slow motion. How can he even pinpoint where he threw his back out? (laughs) That scene is he's slurring. He's oh, it is an absolutely (laughs) wild scene. It is totally bonkers. It is totally bonkers. I mean, like, listen. Does this movie need to be three hours long? I mean, should we like be keeping every single coked up conversation these ding dongs are having? But like there's just the prowess, I think, of him, too, in this movie, because there's like there's just so many instances. And I just don't think we have enough time to like list out every single time that he's out of control. But like just even these like little scenes where like he is at his wedding. I mean, it's like. Who knew that Leonardo DiCaprio knew how to do fucking body rolls like Boo Boo Shrimp <laughs> in Breaking? I mean, I certainly didn't. I did not know that. Did you see that? Like, it's a gif, I think, that yes, now people it's have totally made it. A gift. I'm like, because it's wild. Like, that is not a stunt double. That is not. It's like, when in your life did you have time to learn how to do this in between dating models who are half your age? Yes. <laughs> And acting to the point of almost having a cardiac event in every role. Who taught you how? How did you learn this? You don't just pick up like the pop lock in the body roll. This is how committed he is. I guarantee someone was in his trailer for 14 hours the day before. And he's like, yep, I nailed it. I got it. (laughs) Let me top you off with some, you know, some popping and locking. Just for a little... 15 second sequence like i'm just gonna i'm just gonna do this for you oh, no. i don't know i don't know why i keep saying he's like doing it for us <laughs> like the spectators <laughs> but in a way it is it's that moment where you're like you know he is throwing his back out and like <laughs> making his face explode at every moment like a like a you know how like in cartoons where like it's so hot that a thermometer just busts at the top like that's his face in like every scene i agree and it is for us because if it was for him i'd have some real questions about this the status of his mental health if he's like i need to go all the way up all the way to the top every time i open my mouth i'd be like we need to talk about this dicaprio i mean sometimes with actors like this you do think it's for them like there's a moment where you're like looking at daniel day lewis going this is for him Right. He's doing this for him, uh, for the art, for his craft. He just wanted to take a year to be a milliner. He just wanted to learn. Exactly. But then there's just pure pomp and circumstance. And I feel like (laughs) this is what DiCaprio is doing in The Wolf of Wall Street. He's just basically like, I do this for the fans. I'm doing this for you. (laughs) 
I completely agree. I'm I'm glad you chose this. I think that it pairs nicely with my movie as well, because, I, again, in both instances, I think that we're talking about like we can agree that the men are objectively horrible, like the people that they are playing are terrible people. So if you just look at it from the point of view of appreciating the acting and that's sometimes hard to, you know, to, to disengage from. Yeah. But I am able to do that with this movie and with the movie I picked, because I think that, again, it's more of like that that study that you were talking about. Um, and it's also kind of just very it's just really interesting to see him at this point in his career going to such lengths. Like he's like, I will crawl inside a bear. I will <laughs> fight a wolf. I will break. I will cut my hand on real glass and keep going. Like he is just going at this point. When I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I was like, yes, this is exactly what I'm here for. Like, I, I want to see this version of Leonardo DiCaprio. But like, yeah, I, I in terms of just like the on screen stuff, man. Going for it all that way up. Couldn't be more up. My contribution to the all the way up theme is Bronson which came out in 2008 and is directed by Nicholas Windingreffen. My name's Charles Bronson. There's nothing wonky about my upbringing. Like most kids, I got into trouble. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad, bad. All right, so first, we need to get into some backstory here a little bit um, about this film. So Jason Statham, our all-the-way-up prince, if, Leo, if Leo's the king... <laughs> Statham is our all the way up prince was supposed to play Bronson and then he had a conflict and he couldn't do it so Tom Hardy stepped in and now the director Nicholas uh, Wending Refn was not allowed to meet Bronson he's like I do not want to meet that guy so they talked on the phone a couple of times but real Bronson the real Bronson right honestly when you said Bronson I really thought it was about Charles Bronson the actor and then I was like oh certainly that's not it because this guy is bald with a mustache and I and then I went on a Google like I was like wow this is really fascinating so yeah his life is wild so you're saying that the director like you're saying he wasn't allowed to meet him wasn't wasn't allowed allowed to meet him he didn't want to meet him but he did want to meet Tom Hardy and they got along like gangbusters who wouldn't right which is just, the, to me, the best story in the world. So <laughs> get into this a little bit. So Charles Bronson is the most famous prisoner in the UK. He's the most violent prisoner. He's the most expensive prisoner. He was originally arrested for uh, robbing a post office. He got seven years. But because of his, the violence and his behavior in prison, he basically spent 30, 40 years in solitary confinement. Um, he's still in prison to this day and he has no release date. And this movie is about his, his life and his, you know, his thoughts. And part of the reason he, you know, he was born as Michael Peterson, but changed his name to Charles Bronson during a short stint when he was released and became like a bare knuckle boxer. And the boxing promoter was like, you need a tougher name. And he wanted to go with Charlton Heston. And they're like, no, he's old. Nobody gives a shit about that cunt, right? (laughs) (laughs) Cunt. Direct quote. Direct quote. (laughs) I love the Brits, man. Love it. And so he's like, the, you know, the promoter suggested Charles Bronson. And he was like, yeah, sure. He had no idea who the fuck it was. What's fascinating to me, and I'm I'm also nervous, all the way up is a, is a nerve-wracking category. 
nervous because I picked a film that is basically about the prison industrial complex. <laughs> and that is nothing to make fun of. Um, but it is part of the reason why this movie is interesting to me is that it is simultaneously about the prison industrial complex, the violence of police officers, the violence of the system. But it's also about this guy who will tell you himself that he's just always been attracted to violence. He didn't have a bad childhood. He didn't have bad parents come from like a, a you know, a family that was neglectful. He just loved to fuck shit up <laughs> from a young age. Yeah. And so it, it raises the question for me of, you know, how much of, of his experience is circumstance and how much of it is, you know, his personal drive to to do this because what he eventually does he he refers to prison as as his hotel um and he refers to himself as a celebrity and he really does get a charge from being famous in prison and from you know the kind of accolades and respect he gets for fighting and for being totally wild i mean this is a guy who is like routinely covered in his own blood and the blood of other people who is just fighting every day of his life and it's so sad but it's so interesting yeah i mean as as problematic as that kind of seems it is a distinction if you want right. to get down to it it's like to be the toughest guy in prison absolutely and i don't know if, if anyone if any of our listeners have ever had family members in prison but i have um, <laughs> and my uh my stepfather would be in, was in and out of prison. It would all, always say, you know, come back with these stories about like this guy he fucking fucked up and this guy he beat up. And I'm like, what is going on? And he's like, you know, it matters. It matters to be tough in there. And it's it's like a whole different currency. Yeah, um, it's a it's it's a currency exactly. Yeah. Right. So it is a distinction. And, you know, this is he's a problematic man in so many ways. You know, Michael Michael Peterson slash. <laughs> Charles, Charles, Charles Bronson. Bronson there's a scene where he's fighting and there's like a blood swastika on the wall and I'm like you should dig into that a little bit more Reffin like let's not just show that image and not go into it um, but he's he's interesting because he kind of again like he spent at the time the movie was made he had spent 26 years in solitary and he keeps saying things like you know I've spent 30 years in solitary confinement and I've never killed anyone you know, like he's kind of drawing this this line between his crimes and his personality, you know, that his personality is what has kept him in prison. His crimes were always more minor than the damage he did in prison. Um, he's eventually sent to an asylum where they kind of try to drug him into submission. And of course, you know, he he tries to to murder one of his fellow patients, one of the fellow patients. And he thinks, you know, he's he wants to go back to jail. He doesn't want to be in the asylum because he's not a celebrity there and uh, he's not with his people. So he thinks if I hurt this guy, they'll send me back to prison. And they don't. What they do is they set him free because he is literally the most expensive prisoner they have. He crawled to the top of the asylum and like held a protest. And, you know, he did damage of like to the tune of hundreds of thousands of pounds. And essentially the queen and prime minister and all the, you know, all the people we talked about a few weeks ago, now that we know so much about the, <laughs> we know everything government. about royalty. <laughs> and they were like, we don't want to pay for this dude anymore. Like he's not, we're, nothing we do is going to change or rehabilitate or affect him. And all he's doing is fucking our shit up. 
So they let him go, this maniac they just let loose in the streets. And again, like it, during this time, this short stint that he's out, which I think was almost 70 days, um, he starts dating this woman. You know, he he gets back into his, his bare knuckle boxing thing to make money. He robs a store to get her an engagement ring. And then he's sent back to prison. So mm. he has 70 days to himself. And then he's sent back to prison. And it's what's really sad to me, there's a few sad moments in this movie to me. One of them is that uh, there's a scene where he fights a dog. They don't show the fight. They just saw like, they just kind of show the, the dog charging him. And I think like, this is a man who only knows how to use his body and not his, his brain in a way. Like he can't help it. Or there's something, there was something just so desperate about that need to like, come on, like I want to fight. I'll fight the dog. That just made me so, and you know, fighting dogs. Come on guys. But what's also sad to me is that over the course of this film, you see him get into he he's he's going into increasingly smaller cages. So it's, you know, solitary confinement becomes, you know, being isolated confinement becomes a a cage that is literally the size of his and shape of his body that he is just standing up in. And it is upsetting to think about this uh the real reason i picked this film is because tom hardy goes so hard (laughs) every scene he is even the scenes there's all these like kind of cabaret interludes where he's explaining his story at certain moments and even those scenes all the way to the top yep he's just like playing it Every single aspect of this guy's personality. And I think that's why the real Charles Bronson liked him because he was like, oh, he got muscles like me and he does, he can do my voice. And like, I like this guy. Yeah. Wild. Absolutely wild. And I got to tell you, love a guy will do full frontal male. Love it. You see his dick so much in this movie, it becomes second nature. You're like, yep, there's his wang again. <laughs> He's naked all the time fighting. Like, this is a true maniac. <laughs> it is wild. And I mean, look, if you want to go online and look up Charles Bronson's list of crimes, the real ones, I mean, strap in for an hour or so and have at it. But he was a he is to this day remains a, an incredibly violent person. And I think Tom Hardy just brought something to this role. And his ability to just go like totally bonkers that really brought that out and kind of without without being, you know, kind of a, a, a caricature of this real person. It was just it's such a good movie. It's so good. So sad. So good. Yeah. <laughs> well, what so what are you what are your thoughts on Tom Hardy then is like his in his career? Like to me, I actually don't know a ton about him. I mean, I watched the, you know. Mad Max movies or whatever and like I've seen him in a few things he he kind of does remind me of like a 70s type actor he's kind of gritty and he's just kind of like he's got kind of like that vibe to him I mean he in other movies he's all the way up like in Mad Max Fury Road he's all the way up so I wonder from the minute the movie started yeah and it's interesting too because it's like like we talked about at the top of this episode like you know, you we're talking about like movies about criminals or like at very least movies about crimes, people committing crimes. Um, and they're sort of notorious, but then you have like the two opposite ends of the spectrum. Like you have this like white collar Wall Street guy, and then you have this very opposite 
mm-hmm. like you know working class yeah yeah and but also just like more known for physicality and for physical crimes versus just like you know the frauds and the you know sec violations and that kind of stuff but like why i just wonder like to be all the way up though i mean you just basically have to like go above and beyond right yeah it's like you said like they're willing to take it to 11 like tom hardy goes to 11 even in his most gentle roles there's there's a movie he's he stars in with um benedict cumberbatch called stewart a life lived backwards he plays an unhoused person who befriends Benedict Cumberbatch, and um, you get to learn about his life from that point to when he was born. And he goes all the way up in that movie. Like, he doesn't, he can't do subtle. I think all the way up, to have an all the way up career, you cannot be known for subtlety. <laughs> He's not it's known true. for subtlety. I mean, the Bane and the, the Batman thing, it's like oh, half of his face was covered and he was still all the way up. I completely fucking forgot he was Bane. Yes. Shit. Yeah. Like, he can't help it. He can't help it. Even when you cannot see, even when most of his face is obscured. He's going all the way up with his body, with his punches. He does those punches where it's like, um, oh, God, remember when Brad Pitt did that Alexander movie? <laughs> yeah. And he was like, would like jump in the air and then punch down. Yeah. yeah. That's like Tom Hardy in every throw, every punch he throws. He's just like, I'm going to do the most <laughs> acrobatic punch of all time. I'm not just going to kick you. I'm going to kick you from five feet in the air, bounce up <laughs> and kick you under your chin while I'm also kicking you in the stomach. Like he's just every move is all the way up. He's he's a he's an interesting, weird fighter actor, dude. Yeah, he's the jumping down from above to punch you guy. <laughs> yeah. <Love that. laughs> that is that you do see that a lot in action movies and i'm like how did that happen why is he always taller and i only remember it from that alexander movie because that was the first time i thought like what the hell kind of way is that to punch somebody (laughs) it might have been in movies before that but that's the first time i thought what am i looking at yeah yeah it's just again like it's really you know and this is uh, this is someone in the uk so looking at the uk prison system versus the u.s prison system and and thinking more about you know, the working class up, upbringing uh, versus a very, you know, moneyed person. But it's just it's a sad movie about getting caught in the cycle of violence. Uh, but it is also an interesting and funny movie for the absurdity of this man and his choices. Yeah, I mean, abs- we got to talk about because this is I have never seen this movie before. This is a, a first watch for me. I definitely know the work of Nicholas Winding Refn just because I have a lot of friends that are big fans of him, but I have not really like truly jumped into his filmography as much as a lot of people I know have. And he just to let the listeners know, like he directed the Pusher trilogy. He directed Drive, Only God Forgives, Neon Demon. Like he's done some kind of artsy esoteric. Yeah, he's kind of known for that. He's kind of like he has a streaming service and he does a lot of preservation work for like old genre films and exploitation movies. So it's like his influences are great. Like they're they're I'm definitely like, Oh, I totally see where he comes from in this like stylistic way. And like, that's the thing I think is so interesting about this movie too, is that the music cues and like the slow motion scenes, I mean, it's all very like almost operatic, you know? And Uh, It's very highly stylized, which is super interesting to me because it's even more stylized than Wolf of Wall Street because Wolf of Wall Street is also 
very musical, very much like, I mean, that's the Scorsese way, obviously, but like, I'm like, it made, it just made the character. It made Tom Hardy. Everything felt like, again, up to 11, you know what I mean? Heightened a little bit. Yeah. And did you feel that though? Like when you were watching it, you felt like, oh yeah, this isn't all the way up before. <laughs> oh, of course. I mean, cause he's just like his screaming and then the physicality again, physicality of him, like, you know, falling down, throwing himself around, like covered in blood, you know, covered in paint, covered in paint, <laughs> being naked. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, you know, it was absolutely a perfect fit for this theme that we picked. I can't believe we picked this. It's so good. <laughs> but it is like such a good choice for this theme. I honestly can't think of like, it, it, it ended up being like at first when I think we came to this, I I was thinking, wow, we're just picking our own choices, but they actually make a lot of sense together. And that's kind of cool. Yeah, so they do. I know. I, I love that. I love when that happens, that kind of synchronicity. Yeah. But yeah, these these dudes, man, there's some real bad dudes in the world and not all of them are this entertaining to hear <laughs> stories about. And I wonder about that, too. Like, did people do people wait? To have their life stories told when they they're like, okay, we finally found an actor who can do it. I wonder that too. When you mentioned the Jason Statham thing, it was really funny because I was like, oh my god, how would Jason Statham do this? Like, would he get naked? Would Jason? I know he's put like, you know, car battery clamps on his nipples and stuff, but would he go down? Like, go down to just his birthday suit and box? And also like. Would he put on press on nails and lipstick and like, yeah, would he do any of that for these like cabaret style moments? I can't picture it. Would he like allow a prison guard to grease him up so he can like with the, you know, express interest of just being able to be extra slippery so that nobody could fucking restrain him? I mean, this this guy, he's not a genius, but he is ingenious. Yeah. Like he <laughs> works with the tools that are at hand. I definitely think so. Um, but man, what what an insane movie. I hope that people <laughs> have are able to take like a nice little breathing exercise after both these films. Yeah. Don't watch them back to back or do. I don't know your life, but <laughs> you'll be in for it if you do. Like if you if you do just keep some like uh some some melatonin there by some valerian root, something to just bring you down a little bit. Just don't take lewds, is all we ask. Don't take the fact that quaaludes even existed and it was a party drug when it gets you to that point i don't know what people were thinking in the 70s and 80s i, I truly don't <laughs> like if i just want to be sloppy and hang over a couch and drool i can do that at home i don't need a drug for that thank you for joining us and listening um we've got we've got a bonus episode coming out um on thursday actually mm. if you are a stitcher premium member uh, it, Millie's going to interview me about my life. Yes. I've, I've, I've had a life. I wouldn't say my life is quite all the way up to Bronson levels. <laughs> but what you know of me, I feel like you could say it's 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 there a little bit. Like it's like a, on a, a two or three on the scale of Bronson, maybe. <laughs> In terms of bonkersness and all the way upness. I would love to see bare knuckle brawl i'm just i'm just putting that out there <laughs> no it's exciting that you've agreed to like let me talk to you and ask you a bunch of questions because 
I can't tell you how many people, not just listeners, but also my dear friends that I've known forever and ever and ever who are like, oh my God, Danielle, she's fantastic. You know, I'm not friends with her, but I want to be friends with her. How do I know more about her? And I'm like, okay, first of all, she is publishing a memoir soon. So wait for that. But also we, we can, we can talk <laughs> about it whenever, right? So like, exactly. why not? Well, thank you for that. That's very, very sweet. And I think a lot of you will definitely want to tune in because there's some some revelations. Uh, but we also have some movies coming out for next week that we're going to be talking about. Do you want to tell, tell folks what those are? I will. Next week's episode, the films are Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song from 1971 and American Gigolo from 1980. I mean, you guys are smart, but guess, guess the theme in the social meds. We are I Saw Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And you can also email us your questions, uh, your thoughts at I saw what you did pod at Gmail. This was awesome. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye, everyone. This has been an Exactly Right production. Our producer is Lauren Elizabeth Brown. Our engineer is Annalise Nelson. Our social media assistant is Taryn Matza. Our theme songs by Tom Bryfogel. Artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgareth, and Danielle Kramer. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at iSawPod. And please listen, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. 